Praise God. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We appreciate those good words. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse number 9. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 9. I'm not sure if anybody knows who uh, Deborah Lee Furness is, but she's the wife of Hugh Jackman. And uh, they met one another on a set of Jackman's first movie. And in an interview recently, uh, Furness was asked about the most frustrating aspects of being a married to the man they call the Wolverine. And, and she says the most frustrating aspect of being married to Hugh Jackman is the insinuation that I'm lucky to be married to the Wolverine star. She says these words, luck, they make it sound like I won the chook raffle, she joked. People just don't realize that's actually very, very rude to say that I'm lucky to be married to him. Now, I can't understand her frustration in one sense, but it's an all too common misunderstanding that people with long-term loving or flourishing marriages, that somehow they're just lucky. And the idea is that they won the marriage lottery, that somehow this is a roll of the dice. They simply got dealt a good hand, they backed the right horse, if you, if you know what I mean, uh, that somehow it's luck that determines uh, the outcome of the marriage relationship. Uh, so I'm going to preach a very simple message this morning for a few moments. It's called Good Marriages, Luck or Labor. Uh, and I want to bring the answer down on the side of labor this morning. Uh, and uh, the hope we have for Lee and Tash is not that they just got lucky to find each other uh, but that God, through their labor, can bless the relationship uh, and all that comes from that. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, the Bible says these words, two uh, are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you transparent and open before the one who knows all things about our hearts. I pray, help us, Lord God, to be transparent before you. Help us to repent of sins that need to be repented of. We invite your presence into this wedding service, into this relationship. We pray that your hand would be upon all that we do in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. let's look first of all at the lesson. Now, if we we're in an Italian wedding or a wedding in Italy today, later on during the reception at some point, the bride and the groom smash a glass with great gusto. And uh, there are various, you know, nationalities. That's part of their, you know, wedding custom. But I was reading about that, uh, that what they believe is a superstition is that when they break the glass or the plate or the cup, the number of pieces that the glass breaks into uh, equals the number of years of a happy marriage. And I'm not sure what happens at the end of that, whether the marriage dissolves or it becomes unhappy from that point on, uh, and the reason they smash it with such gusto is they're trying to maximize the number of pieces. 
So if you've got a, an unbreakable glass, I guess you're a lot of bad luck coming your way. You picked up accidentally the plastic cup or you missed the wall, whatever it is, uh, you can have an unhappy marriage. It's a superstition. But how long and how well you're married is far more than the random number of pieces that come from a broken glass. That's simply a superstition. And yet you'd be surprised how many superstitions lie in the background of many of the decisions that we make. Some of you would have heard the the little poem, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. It's a superstition. It's the idea that uh, something old represents the leaving behind of the bride's past. Something new is a symbol of a happy future. Something borrowed, you meant to borrow something from somebody with a happy marriage that somehow that product on your body is going to somehow rub off on you and you're going to get a a happy marriage and something blue represents fidelity and love. It's simply superstitions. You're not meant to give knives as wedding gifts. I'm not sure why that is. Because they get Uber Eats in the first six months. I'm not exactly sure why they don't need any knives, but uh, that's apparently bad luck. Uh, Lee's meant to carry a, a taste over the threshold of the new home because the bride is extra vulnerable to evil spirits through the soles of her feet. And so you carry her over the threshold to leave them on the outside. Uh, and good, it's good luck for a bride to cry on her wedding day uh, because apparently she sheds all of her tears on her wedding day uh, that she'll have no more to shed during the marriage. Amen. Now, we all understand intuitively that's just simply nonsense. Half uh, the people are unconvinced. But that's simply nonsense along with horoscopes, tarot cards, and getting rich on poker machines. But the luck mindset still remains. And while you might not believe in any kind of, you know, overt uh, uh, tradition or superstition, uh, somehow in the back of our minds we think, you know what, uh, it's luck. We see a good marriage like, you know, Deborah Lee Furness is married to Jackman uh, and our natural thought is lucky guy or lucky girl. Uh, it's somehow ingrained in our mindset that somehow it's lucky. And if you're in an unhappy marriage, the converse is true. I guess I'm just unlucky in love. That somehow I lost the lottery. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a winning hand at cards. If I'd simply looked better or looked further or chosen better, uh, uh, then I would somehow be lucky. Good kids, I guess it's lucky. You've got some money in your middle ages, in your middle years. Uh, I guess I guess you got lucky. You got a good career. I guess you're just lucky. Yeah, it's all luck, uh, my friend. You're gonna have to take the take a seat shortly. Four thousand photos are not going to be necessary. All right, thank you. I should have looked harder. If I looked in Siberia, maybe I would have found my soulmate. Maybe she was in Alaska. Maybe she was in Rome. Uh, I just simply did not get lucky. Now, a text gives us the definitive principle for a successful life and a successful marriage. I want you to take your Bibles out. I want you to take your pen. I want you to circle the word labor. I want you to say labor. The Bible says the good reward comes from labor. If you're a single person, that to get married requires some labor. Say labor. 
that your Prince Charming or your Princess Charming is not going to somehow just lob from, from out of space and somehow sit next to you and think you're, you're the answer to their prayers. It, it takes labor. And once you are married, once you say the vows, once the wedding day is over, the marriage labor begins. And it takes labor to make a successful marriage. Our text uses that word deliberately. It means toil. It means travail. It means you have to trouble yourself in order to get the benefits and reap all the rewards of a good relationship. You have to labor. You have to trouble yourself. Jacqueline and Furness, further on in the, uh, uh, in the interview, they said that for every uh, they said, it's, it, is this a good, uh, they asked the question, is this good for our marriage and family? They said, we never go to sleep on an argument. Uh, we never spend more than two weeks apart. Uh, and they sang, basically, it's labor. Uh, and at 24 years now married, they've got one of the longest uh, marriages in Hollywood. Uh, and I'd say one of the primary reasons is, they said, it's a labor, it's a work. We give ourselves to this. One Christian wife had these words to say, My husband is a solid Christian man. He works on his relationship with God through Bible reading and prayer. He's involved in weekly ministry at our local church. He works hard 40 and 50 hours a week and invests in our family. He speaks to our children gently, treats me like I'm the most ideal wife he could ever have imagined. And likewise, I work hard for our family. I parent our children gently. I treat my husband like he's the only man in the world for me. It's just that people are always telling us how lucky we are that we are so happy together. And it's tricky to accept the compliments. It isn't luck that's gotten us through it. And it would feel really dishonest to let anybody think our happiness is effortless or an easy. It's not easy. It's a lot of hard work. Yes, we enjoy the rewards, but things get messy here. We have just learned how to clean it up biblically before the mess becomes a, a life-changing disaster. The lesson this morning is uh, it takes labor. There's a second thought, and that's some areas whereabouts you can apply labor in your marriage because our text gives us three specific areas where married couples must labor in building it. One of those is when we fall, one of those is when we freeze, and one of those is when we fight. Uh, let's look first of all at labor when we fall. It's natural in a balanced life, even a balanced Christian life, uh, for people to fall from time to time. Can anybody who's married say amen? Okay, a couple of people. One of the reasons is because living for God, God wants you on the stretch. God wants you to extend yourself. God wants you to be doing things, uh, to exploring new opportunities, uh, to pressing ahead in the things of God. And it's only natural when you step out beyond yourself uh, or be on the stretch for God or to take risks. Uh, it's only natural that from time to time you fall short of all that you want to accomplish. Uh, it's normal to fall or to fail. It's what happens at that point that determines the good marriage. Because in every marriage, there's going to be situations where you fall, you stumble. That's when labor kicks in. You know, back in Bunbury, we, my wife and I, we got married many, many years ago. Not that many have gone, but a few years ago. And in our first 
experience as a married couple. We wanted to uh, uh, step out and be hospitable <clears throat> to people in the church, have some people over to our house. And so I decided I'll take the lead. I'm going to make some soup so that our people can come over the next day and they can have some soup for fellowship. It's going to be a great deal. And so I made a pot, uh, a big, you know, I don't know, nine-liter-style pot uh, of lentil soup. And I put it on the on the stove. We cooked it up, ready there, put the lid on it, uh, and uh, went to bed. But I forgot to turn the stove off. Nine-liter pot of thick, chunky lentil soup. And so we woke up, I don't know, three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I thought I'd been blinded. I couldn't see anything. We put the light on. We still can't see anything. It's dark. Uh, then we realized it's smoke. And uh, lo and behold, in the kitchen, this entire pot, the bum had been burned out of the pot, all the soup had been burnt, uh, and the place was filled with thick, black, acrid, uh, potentially poisonous aluminium toxic uh, uh, gas throughout the house, uh, stained all the ceiling, stained all the walls, stained all the furniture. Uh, we had to open the doors, open the windows. Uh, we're sitting on the front steps saying, that was a, might not have been my sharpest move, honey. But the good news is in the last, you know, 37 years, we've had more fellowships than that one failure. I don't think we've burned anything since. But the idea is that in your marriage, you are going to find situations and circumstances where you fall short. And that's when labor kicks in. The Amplified says, if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Say lift up his companion. When one falls, the spouse lifts them up as opposed to <laughs> kick the boot in. The idea that they failed, they fell short, they weren't all they were cracked up to be, uh, we lift them up. Uh, we don't stick the boot in. Uh, amen. Forward progress involves activity. Uh, marriages are meant to accomplish something. It's not an end in itself. Uh, and so you have to be able to lift one, other up, one another up when you fall. Can you say amen? amen? The second situation the Bible speaks about is when things are cold or when things freeze. This is the idea of situations in life when there's discouragement. That somehow it's just, it's not as, it's not the natural warmth of a lucky relationship that just somehow flows naturally. Yeah? There are situations that will arise in a marriage where there is going to be some discouragement, whether it be personal disappointments, yeah? there could be work or career trials, yeah? even church life can throw up its own unique sets of challenges. Yeah? And the Bible is saying that when that happens, when it's cold, it's discouraging, it's disappointing, it's not all the sense of encouragement that things ought to be there. The Bible says, thank God that in a good marriage, one will labor to encourage the other one. One will labor to bring some warmth, bring some heat, bring some security, bring some confidence, but that takes work. That takes 
labor. We're all going through uh, things at many times at the same time. Uh, but the Bible says in a good relationship, in a good marriage, uh, when there's discouragement uh, on one side of the bed, uh, there's going to be encouragement on the other side of the bed. Uh, and woe to the married couple when they're both discouraged at the same time. Thank God for the invaluable and undeniable warmth that comes uh, from either a close friend or a spouse. Uh, it's an invaluable asset. Uh, amen. Nothing quite like the words of the person who knows you the most intimately. Uh, for those words to say, you know what, I believe in you, uh, we have a future together, uh, we can win from here. Nothing quite like the warmth that comes from those words, uh, but many times that involves uh, labor. There's a third thing. When you fall, when you freeze, uh, and when you fight. Uh, yes, I did say that, fight. <laughs> Let me just tone it down a fraction when we disagree strongly over different subject matters as a married couple. The challenge is that we have to see as a married couple that even when there's conflict within the marriage, in reality it's a conflict from without that's trying to separate two teammates, two people on the same side, two people on the same team. The fight is not meant to be with one another. It's meant to be you together fighting those things from outside that seek to disrupt the smooth harmony of the marriage. One man said, I had some words with my wife and she had some paragraphs with me. <laughs> I'm not sure if that rings true to you. But this guy's saying, we're fighting amongst ourselves Every assault on the marriage comes from without. Or the devil wants to use any disagreement or conflict within a marriage uh, to score points for him, to separate it, to isolate it, to disrupt it. It's got to be seen as an attack from without. You know, we wouldn't be in the problems we are in today if Adam and Eve had understood that. Interesting for those who know their Bible, or at least have a cursory understanding of the fall in the garden, where the Bible says that God says of all the trees you can eat, but just not that tree there. And then the devil, the Bible says, comes and he speaks to Eve and gets her to agree to eat the fruit. And Adam doesn't step in and recognize an assault from without. And the reason why once the fruit was eaten and the devil disappears, when God comes on the scene, the reason why God spoke to Adam and not Eve is because Adam should have recognized the assault from without, trying to separate their relationship with God, their relationship with one another. He should have recognized that and got the family together to fight against an outside source as opposed to conflict within each other. You're meant to be in the same foxhole, side by side, uh, protecting one another from anything uh, that's going to disrupt what God wants to do within the marriage relationship. It's a labor. Pastor E.V. Hill, he pastored one of the largest African-American congregations in America during the race riots of the 1960s. And after another black pastor had been murdered, he received a threatening phone call saying, uh, 
he would also be killed and that they would put a bomb in his car. The very next day he woke up and he noticed that his wife was not there and their car was gone. Just then his wife drove up in their, drove up in their car. When he asked her what she was doing, she said, I just wanted to be sure that any bomb in the car would explode on me and not on you. That's a good wife. Can you say amen? I want to protect this relationship and I'll do whatever it takes to protect it. It's a labor. I close one final thought. And that's the Lord. Anybody here a rope maker? That's your trade? Make ropes? Neither do I. But I have it on good authority that the largest number of strands in a rope that all touch one another is three. That one strand is one strand. You can get two strands together. You can put three strands together. They all touch one another and provide strength there. Once you add in a fourth, it's not touching the other strands and somehow it doesn't add strength to the rope. Our text finishes, and I close with this, with kind of a very interesting statement there where it says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Or it's talking about a husband and a wife, two are better than one, two are better than one, two are better than one. Uh, you know, when, when it's cold, uh, you know, when there's falling, uh, when there's discouragement, uh, two, two, this is what one does the other. And all of a sudden it says a threefold cord. That something about two people working together in harmony, like the Bible says, laboring for the benefit of the marriage, uh, a third factor enters in that we know to be Jesus Christ. We started off in John chapter 2 where the Bible says that Jesus was invited to the wedding there at Cana because any sensible married couple says we need more than just our ability, our natural talents, or even our natural labor. We need help. And that's where a good Christian couple invites the Lord Jesus Christ into their marriage. And the Bible says that when two people labor together and the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the third string to their bow or the third cord on the rope, it's very difficult to break that cord. Psalms 127 verse 1. In God's Word's translation says, These words, if the Lord does not build the house, it is useless for the builders to work on it. Very simple truth is when two Christians marry, and they make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives, and they labor, he provides a third cord, and that's a marriage that's unbeatable. I'm going to give you a statement this morning. I'm going to close with this. Many research studies show that Christian marriages, as opposed to the marriages of non-Christian people, but the research studies show that uh, in Christian marriages they have less conflicts, they're better friends, they make greater commitments uh, and live with more grace than their non-Christian counterparts. They also live longer, they're generally healthier, wealthier, happier, and they have more satisfying times of intimacy uh, than their unsaved counterparts. Who wouldn't want a piece of the action? 
If the stats say, you know what, this is the way to get the most out of life, number one, be married, but number two, let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your relationship, uh, healthier, wealthier, longer living, all the various benefits. Uh, Lee and Tace this morning have invited Jesus Christ into their relationship, uh, and we have uh, great confidence that they're going to live out that kind of life uh, until Jesus Christ comes back and you say amen. That's about it. He's going to close in a word of prayer.